Hi, Sleepover Cinema listeners. It's Hannah, once again, coming to you from the post-production bubble. I'm just here to say that the episode you are about to hear was chosen by you on our Instagram poll. We had two episodes from season one that did not see the light of day. Those two episodes being Cheetah Girls 2 and The Princess and the Popper. We had you all vote and you chose the Cheetah Girls 2. So that's what you were about to hear. You will definitely still hear Princess and the Popper, but you're about to hear Cheetah Girls 2. Um, but I'm really just here to say, forgive any inconsistencies in this episode uh, with our current timeline. I'm pretty sure it won't be noticeable, but in case there's something different, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, but yeah, thanks and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who are now starving for a Polly Pocket rubber boot to chew on. I'm Hannah Leach. I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the very often made-for-TV movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2006's Cheetah Girls 2. Amigas. Cheetahs. <laughs> Friends Cheetahs. for life. The Cheetah Girls are back in an all-new movie, Cheetah Girls 2, the Cheetah-licious edition. What's up? We're the Cheetah Girls. We're here to tell you about our new movie. <laughs> I'm really excited to watch this today. I really enjoyed compiling all the information for this because it's such a treasure trove of bizarre interpersonal dynamics. Yeah. Uh, and the songs are really good. Yes. What else is on your mind today, Audrey? I was just going to say that it's really unfortunate that this whole thing is taking place over the medium of sound because I personally know some choreography from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just post a video on Instagram or something. Yeah, I mean... We got to shit because, yeah, if this was a video right now, I could just provide that, but. Yes. <laughs> she, you are going to provide it, just uh, we'll, not here. We'll, we'll provide that for you somewhere else. A little something. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about the <laughs> Cheetah Girls 2 or life? Not particularly. I am quite excited to watch it, though, and sing along. I Me think too. this is one Disney of these sing-along version. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this is one of those decoms where they did the sing-along version. Like yes. High School Musical, they did that. They also did a dance-along. Right, with like the weird... Uh, tutorials and tutorials. the commercial breaks. Yes. It's amazing. It is. Anyway, so let's start with the facts regarding Cheetah Girls 2. This movie premiered on the Disney Channel on August 25th, 2006, and was directed by the one, the only, <laughs> Kenny Ortega, a true cornerstone of the tween media landscape at the time, and still now, actually, I'm pretty sure. Yes, he's a legend. Um, he directed High School Musical, all three of them. He directed a decent chunk of Gilmore Girls episodes, and what I didn't know is he also directed Newsies and Hocus Pocus. I knew this. You knew that? Yeah. I did not know that. And he also randomly directed the Michael Jackson This Is It documentary, but it, I wrote it down as This Is Is, <laughs> which is not right. Definitely probably chose him because he's a dance guy and, and right. it's a dance doc, basically. Very visually dance heavy. 
So kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Isn't he a choreographer also? Yeah, yeah, he choreographed all of um, all of the High School Musicals and, and this movie. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he choreographed. Ooh, that's Cheetah something Girls too. I should have known. Yeah. I'm already thinking about how weird the frame rate is in some of these dancing shots when they're outdoors and their hair is like super movie, like moving around. Oh, in Cheetah Girls too. Yes, I don't. I'll re- point it out. I when don't we recall watch. that, but yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> this movie was written by um three individuals. Bethesda Brown is credited as having played a part in writing this movie. This and one other random movie are her only credits. Um, Allison Taylor. Our girl is back from the first Cheetah Girls movie. Again, this was the creator of Just Jordan. She wrote a bunch of episodes of Married with Children and like go back and listen to the first episode about the Cheetah Girls if you want to get more information on (laughs) Allison. And then we have Deborah Gregory, who um, is a writer, producer, and I wrote novelist because I guess she wrote all of like the spinoff books. Which I found to be confusing because this started as a book series and then it became a movie and then it became a different book series. Well, you know how they always make book versions of DCOMs? Yeah, but why is it on IMDb? Like, why is she credited for that on IMDb? Well, you can change your, um, you can change that information yourself. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So she decided we're going to care. Yeah. Got it. We see you, Deborah Gregory. Okay. (laughs) The Rotten Tomatoes moment. Um, critic consensus on Rotten Tomatoes for this movie was 57%. Honestly, kind of where you would expect it. And the audience score was 61%. Uh, and something amusing I discovered while collecting this information is that apparently the line on Rotten Tomatoes between being a ball of slime or popcorn is 60. So the critic consensus was a ball of slime and the audience score 61 was popcorn. I'm surprised there's a critic consensus on this because it was made for TV. Well, it might not actually be critic consensus. I guess the consensus was 57%, but then the audience score was 61 Right, but just the idea that critic usually critics don't rate or review made-for-TV movies. Right, but people really did. Um, yeah. Which leads us into our next segment, which is quotes from reviewers. Um, Audrey, would you like to read this first review blurb from sure. Whitney Pastoric of Entertainment Weekly? <laughs> were these just really funny or something? Yes, these okay. were my favorite ones. <laughs> okay. Yes, it's a bit ridiculous watching four calculatedly multiracial girls lip sync to peppy songs about changing the world, but even a saccharine version of Girl Power is better than other tween bait options like MTV's The Hills. So I kind of liked that quote, especially because it referenced the fact that like reality TV stuff was becoming a thing then. Like I remember when The Hills was relevant for like five seconds. Um, So, okay, you had... So that review was technically a good review. Yeah. Um, This next one. They're saying it's better than other things. (laughs) Yes. And then this next one was written by a very angry man named David Nusser on Real Film Reviews. He said, an interminable piece of fluff that holds absolutely no appeal for viewers outside the film's target demographic of teenage girls. Undiscriminating teenage girls at that. I was it's like, not for you, sir. I was like, what did what did the Cheetah Girls do to hurt you, David? Please avert your gaze. Yeah, like, get over it. <laughs> um, and then this last one, written by a very grounded woman at the 
Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Audrey, would you like to read this? Sure. While the Cheetah Girls' credo gives lip service to friendship and support and commitment, they spend an awful lot of time simply wanting to be superstar divas. <laughs> Which I thought that was a very succinct uh, the, I mean, description that, of this whole franchise. The entire franchise. They just want to be stars. Yes, and that is on, on screen and in real life. Yeah. 100,000%. So um, remember that. Keep that in your mind because we're going to come back to some of that. But before we talk about that, let's go through a couple more of these little um, factual nuggets. So this is a really shittily written plot synopsis, but it is factually very correct. The girl group returns for more adventures, this time traveling to Spain to take part in a music festival. Yeah. That is it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Audrey, would you like to... Uh, Read this tagline bit for us. So there is no official tagline, but we do recall the amazing tagline from the first movie, which was they've got one shot to show their spots, <laughs> which applies to this movie as well. It continues to apply. They've got two shots to show their spots. <laughs> A minimum of two. Um, but... <laughs> Apparently, the film was originally subtitled When in Spain, so meaning Cheetah Girls 2, colon, When in Spain. Yes, which I thought was noteworthy. Yeah. So, the cast of this movie, um, the same people returned. All four of the Cheetah Girls returned. We had Raven Simonier, Simonier as Galleria, Adrian Houghton Baylon, or I guess it's Adrian Bailon Houghton, sorry, as Chanel, Sabrina Bryan as Dorinda, and Keely Williams as Aquanetta. And I need to tell everyone that Aquanetta, it turns out, was originally supposed to be played by Solange Knowles. I wish it was. That would have. I really do. But, like, would they still have written her such a small part if it was her? Do you think, that, probably. Do you think she would have had You know more? what? They probably would have, and it would have been a lost opportunity. That's upsetting. Yeah. Um, and then... Very notably, we have Belinda Peregrine playing Marisol, who is this, like, Spanish pop star that they encounter. The friend stealer. Yeah, she's a friend stealer. <laughs> Wait, is she a friend stealer? Is that yeah, what happens? Because, um, Does she steal Galleria? No, she steals Adrian. Oh, that's funny because um, Belinda— Because they speak Spanish. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Belinda and Raven in real life are, like, actual friends, which I find to be weird. Now? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Um— so Belinda, who plays Marisol, uh, was basically like a similar type of starlet in Spain as the Cheetah Girls were, like started in acting, moving over to music. This was her first English speaking role. Um, but I just have to tell you, Audrey, that uh, Belinda has a brother named Ignacio and his nickname is Nachito. Which leads me to my main point, which is that we have to do a Nacho Libre episode. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but the demographic is off for that. But I'm saying that if if we're truly following our hearts, perhaps. If I you want to hear a Nacho Libre episode, yeah, let us know. I would like to know if there's demand for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You know, that, that, that would be good to know about life, yes. to be honest. Okay, so normally we would now go into a little segment about what was going on in the cultural sector at the time. And um, I could have done that, but instead I thought it would be more interesting to talk about what happened between the first and the second Cheetah Girls movie. Because I feel like that context is way more satisfying to know going into rewatching or watching this movie for the first time. 
Um, most of this information is cited from the YouTube classic, The Truth About the Cheetah Girls, Success, Drama, and Breakup. Um, I highly recommend that you look up that YouTube video. Um, You've probably already seen it in your recommended, <laughs> assuming you're like us. Yes, if you're anything like us, it is definitely in your recommended. So, um, kind of the running theme of the Cheetah Girls franchise is that Raven wanted to be involved, kind of, but only on screen. Like, she didn't really partake in a lot of things outside of the movies. So, first movie happened was a huge success. It was like really, really, really highly watched on the day that it premiered. And Raven was signed on to Disney slash Hollywood Records. And so were the other Cheetah Girls. But the other Cheetah Girls were signed on as a trio and Raven signed on separately. However, they still recorded like the, the soundtracks together. It's so funny because that is literally the plot line of the I first know. movie. Well, that's the whole thing is that this whole <laughs> franchise is like life imitating art imitating yeah. life imitating art. Yeah. Which I think is maybe why it's so it effective. Really feeds into it. Yeah. Um, so the Cheetah Girls soundtrack comes out. It's also a huge success. And later that year, the Cheetah Girls, minus Raven, go on tour with Allie and AJ. Can you even imagine doing that now? I really regret not being there. I know. We would not, ne- <laughs> mom never would have taken us. Uh, and then hey, they. She took us to Gaga. I think she would take us to we that. We were older then. Yeah, but and also still. she like was into Gaga because she like saw the Bowie parallels, <laughs> you know? Um, and then they recorded a holiday album that year too. It's like, it's called A Cheetalicious Christmas, I'm pretty sure. Um, and that was without Raven. So, um,. Then they go to record Cheetah Girls 2, record, record the cast recording and shoot the movie. And um, Raven nowadays will pretty much blatantly state that she absolutely hated her life filming the second Cheetah Girls movie. Um, And low-key the first. (laughs) Yes, and low-key the first. But it seemed like she had a lot of issues with Keely or Keely had a lot of issues with her. And that's the girl who plays Aqua. Yeah. Um. Basically, the friendship dynamic in between the first and second movie, like, everything that I saw online said that Raven was pretty fine during the first movie. But then because they, like, broke off into these two different, like, factions between the first and the second, it was, like, almost awkward to come back and shoot the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently Keely had a history of fighting with other members of groups she'd been in before. Like, she fought with the one... Like, she fought with one of the girls she was in a girl group with um, before Cheetah Girls, 3LW, when it was Adrian and her and this girl, Naturi. So after after Cheetah Girls 2 comes out, uh, Raven went back to her solo projects and the trio went on tour without her again. But even without Raven, the franchise was so strong that, um, for example, when they headlined the Houston Rodeo or Dallas Rodeo, I think Houston, they sold 72,000 tickets in three minutes, which is really big. Um, And then after that in 2007, this is past Cheetah Girls 2 now, but like, why not learn something? Um, The Cheetah Girls last album, I don't know if they know if I don't know if they knew it was their last album, but um, TCG was released and Fuego was their lead single. And It's so good. Fuego is objectively an amazing song. I love that song. It's so <laughs> Just good. Just turn it up. We make it hot from 
the streets too for the club. Like that song had no business being that good. No. Um, and then the third movie rolls around a couple years later and Raven refuses to do it. And it kind of doesn't matter. But, you know, maybe we'll save more information on the third one for perhaps someday when we review it. But and um, you know what? I never even watched it. I don't think I ever watched it either. I never saw it. And that just shows. I mean, the viewership from two to three, I think it uh, took a huge, huge hit. Because not only were the target audience of the Cheetah Girls movies getting older, but without Raven, I mean, she was the glue. Yeah, she was the glue. She's the glue of the movies. She was the glue. But you know what I have to say is... um. In the video I watched, they, like, kind of did this brutal side-by-side of, like, Raven singing lead and then Adrian singing lead. Oh, yeah, I know. And and Adrian is so valid. Adrian sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. She just sounds different. It's not about the vocals that I'm saying that interest goes down without Raven. It's about the the franchise as a whole and the content. Well, and also all the conflicts in the movie are based around Raven. Always had to do with Galleria. Yeah, so it's like, what's going to happen now? Yeah, it's like now they're just like, happier (laughs) yeah they just like have a good time like what what happens (laughs) um but i just again wanted to say uh justice for adrian she is yep not only a talented singer but also like i this feels like a weirdly randomly hot take but she is like one of my most she's like such a beloved media figure to me because she's so good on the real and i interviewed her for jim brickman one time and it was terrifying and great. And she was really, really nice. She felt like a real person, which was cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm done talking. What do you remember about this movie from childhood? And um, when was the last time you watched it? I don't know when the last time I was watched it. Probably within five years. Because um, it's not like a distant memory. Like, I I know what happens in this movie. Um, uh, what do I remember from it? Oh, the weird guy, Angel. <laughs> Who, like, follows them down the street and is like, let me show you the real Barcelona. Oh, and he's like, Barcelona. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Barcelona. Barcelona. <laughs> and um, forced romance between Angel and Galleria. Again? And forced romance between Dancer Guy and Dorinda. No. But that is more understandable and I support it more <laughs> mm-hmm. um, than the Galleria Angel romance. Wait, does that mean that Aqua doesn't get a plot line again? Aqua's plot line is that she really wants to do fashion design and they meet Galleria's mom's fashion designer friend. How do you remember and this? she really wants to, she really wants to go in and like see all the designs and like get into that. But Galleria is being so sourpuss about it. She's just like, she's just like, we said we would go practice. Why aren't we practicing? And she's like, can I just do what I want to do? And she's like, no. Oh my God. It's so uh, passive aggressive. All right. Well, I'm ready to relive that. Yeah. Anything else you recall? Um, Hmm, I recall the whole thing. <laughs> All right, so you remember a lot. Yeah. Okay, I don't remember as much. I do remember that we watched this movie like a billion times. I think because it came out right around the time that we realized we had Disney Channel. I have no clue about that. I remember, that. like, the day that we, like, figured out that we had the Disney <laughs> Channel and we, like, unlocked all this content. It was big. That's funny. Um... I remember that the songs go hard. Yeah. And I remember that I, like, weirdly loved Belinda. 
Like, I had her song. You mean Marisol? Yes, yes. <laughs> I had her song, Why Wait, on my iPod, and yeah. I was like, this is the best song of all time. Yeah, and of course, like, I went to Barcelona for the first time three years ago, and, like, every white girl, every American white uh-huh. girl, and pretty much just every American girl at the Sagrada Familia or... um yeah, the the steps with, like, the mosaic. I yes. forget what—I think that's—I forget what it's called. Anyway, um, everybody just does the same shit. And, like, when I was there, me and my cousin, we were just like—we <laughs> were like, we feel so bad right now just looking at this through the lens of Cheetah Girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to say, I wrote down that this movie is basically just one long promo for studying abroad. Yeah. I mean, and it, like, really does a good job. If that's if that was the goal, they did an amazing job. If, if they were secretly getting paid by, like, a study abroad yeah. service or whatever, like, agency. I mean, even just for Spain tourism. Yes. Like, we should check in the credits and see if it's, like, special shout-out to the— Office of yeah, Tourism. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure there is because they have to get permits for all that stuff. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so we about to watch. I guess we're about to watch. Um, can't wait to see the messiness unfold. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. I'm excited for it's over. That's what I was literally <laughs> about to say. The messiness to unfold. I was like... Four voices, <laughs> like wow! It's so dramatic, but it's so good, and the houses are beautiful. Yes, in this. Woo. All right, people. I'm. This is on Disney Plus, right? It's got to yeah, be. It has to be. All right. Well, we're gonna go watch it. I'm gonna eat my Chipotle and um, fire it up. Maybe take some notes if you want to be like us, <laughs> and we will be back before you know it to discuss the deeds. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. It makes us tired. Oh, I thought it keeps us. Meaning, like, keeps our friendships. <laughs> yes. <together. laughs> Meaning keeping our friendships sound and collected. <laughs> what were you going to say? Uh, at some point, 
we have to do their stupid two-part harmony that they okay, oh yeah we'll that get, they, we'll yeah, get yeah, to yeah, it because yeah. i have issues did with this two-part harmony down? yes i did okay so clearly we watched the movie um <laughs> and it was pretty okay firstly i would like to clear up the fact that this is another Deborah Martin Chase Whitney Houston produced yes film yes our new goal is to get Deborah Martin Chase on the program we've covered four things now i think minimum four five four or five mm-hmm. cuz Cinderella um both the cheetah girls right yeah and both princess diaries or was she not i think just the second one yeah yeah maybe just the second one so yeah that's so. a good four I feel like anything Whitney did, Deborah was there with yeah, her. Yeah, Deborah much. was there. So keep that in your file. I mean, it's important. It is. Um, so I guess let's start with the things we appreciated about this movie. All right. I have a I have an <laughs> overarching thing that I think you'd want to comment on too, which okay. is that this musical, which is that this movie breaks from the first in the series, and that this is like pretty much a standard musical movie yes. musical it has um a decent amount of songs <laughs> that this movie not being adapted from a stage play obviously ha- actually has a really decent amount of songs i appreciated that they tried to give aqua um some character they still don't movie. give her a real plot they don't give her a plot but they at least they, like, put in this line about her maybe doing this, like, science program yeah, over the, very, the summer at Columbia. Yeah. And I was like, what? And then they never touch on it again, and she's just into fashion. Yeah, she, like, starts talking about something with, like, proteins. Like, and, chemistry and biology yeah. at Columbia. And they're like, who are you sometimes? Like, you're so <laughs> random. And then she never talks about it again. They discourage her scientific impulses. That's not what she does do. No, that is not. That's not what Friends for Life do. She delicious. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that fierce. Is not genealogious at all. <laughs> the growl power is lacking. <laughs> Correct. Um, I also appreciate that the entire presence of Angel in this Who's movie. Angel? Angel is the guitar playing. Um, fantasy man (laughs) in this movie who saves the day at the last second. He's basically magic realism. (laughs) Yes. Like, there's two elements of magic realism, other than the fact that it's a musical, um, in this movie, and just, like, little moments where it really, like, departs from reality, and Angel is that. (laughs) Yes, but departs from reality in a way that's different than musicals in general depart from reality. It's, like, in the way where it's, like, they wish on a star that they can go to Spain, and then the magazine just so happens to To flop open to the page of the music festival, like, it just has Angel's face on it. It's just too much. Yeah. Like, what is this? Uh, what else did you appreciate? That's it. <laughs> okay. My list is also short. Um, I, mean, I obviously appreciate the, the music. That's the main thing. Yes. Um, I appreciated the amount of weird visors that uh, Raven wears on stage in this movie. Exclusively on stage. Weird visors only on stage. Yes. Um, Belinda, uh, or Marisol, as I should say, uh, looks weirdly like Barbara Streisand, <laughs> which struck me. Um, Raven... 
kind of doesn't do anything in this movie, which I enjoyed for reasons I will get to later on. Um, she does a lot of like sitting at the piano and pouting. Um, also, I appreciate the fact that the uh, the real star of this movie is Adrian. Yeah, and I'm very curious it gave about her a moment. Yeah, I'm curious about like how they decided to make that choice because. I feel like so much more happens to her in this movie Mm -hmm. than in the first one. Everything, the entire cause of the movie has to do with her. Right. And uh, it's just Raven that throws a fit and makes it suck and then Mm -hmm. guilts them all into caring about the festival. Yes. And before we move on to the parts that are worse, because I can feel us getting pulled into that, um, (laughs) there are a truly unbelievable amount of blazers in this movie. Yeah, I I actually had that in the worst part. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I appreciated it, though. Like, Chanel wears, like, so many blazers. And they're they're not all strictly blazer blazers, but blazer variants. Pretty much the entire time. Pretty much every outfit she has is a blazer variant. I don't know what the deal was with blazers at the time. The wardrobe person for this movie loves a blazer. Yep. On a woman. And... Like, Marisol and Chanel, mm-hmm. Adrian, both do incredibly demanding numbers in <laughs> buttoned-up blazers. <laughs> and they're, like, tight. You can tell it's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's, like, tight under the boob, you yeah. know? And I was just, like, why, why was this a choice? Yeah. I don't know. But it sounds like I'm being negative, and I guess I kind of am. So <laughs> what were the parts that are worse now? Well, I literally wrote blazers and belts over tank tops. Yeah. It's pretty atrocious. Why? And they put Sabrina Ryan in that costume. Sabrina Ryan? Oh, yeah. I thought it was... Sabrina Ryan. I'll just say Dorinda. Okay. They put Dorinda in that outfit in pretty much every scene she's in. It's always a tank top. There might be a fedora involved, but there's a belt, and there's either cargo pants or flare jeans. And it's just like, what? I was thinking about it, and, like, at one point when she was, like, standing out on the balcony, and she had her long tank top on, and it was, like, a shot where you could see her whole body. I was like, why would they ever make shit so unflattering it's like you know how people say that mom jeans are unflattering yeah like how is that even true um i don't know but like obviously for a long time they were out of style like when we were growing up like mom jeans were out of style um and like skinny jeans were in style like mid-rise skinny jeans and i definitely i looked at those i looked at the delia catalogs that literally was that style and i was like Amazing. Yeah. I was like, that's what I want. I feel like people are really going to hate mom jeans, like, relatively soon, though. Yeah, and I'm sad about it. I know. I, I really, honestly, I don't plan I'm not gonna on let changing. It go. I'm not going to let it go. I literally, I, <laughs> I can't <laughs> afford. This company, me, cannot <laughs> afford to let go of high-waisted things. I cannot. Yeah, no. I, I Truly, if you ever catch me in mid or low rise, please slap me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I feel like you could pull it off, though. Thank you, but absolutely not. Why? I don't think so. I would look They're like so uncomfortable. Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> Hannah, what? I'm not. I'm just speaking the truth. It's like not humane. Anyway, anyway. 
What's the other things? Um, what are the other things? Okay, I have like several things. Okay, please. So, so I. I think one of the glaring issues with the plot of this movie is that you realize how unhealthy their friendship is. Yes. There is no reason why Galleria couldn't have just been like, all right, guys, I realize you all are very distracted by your various interests. And um, I don't want to look stupid on stage. So let's just pull from the festival and have a nice vacation and call it a day. Instead of leaving on the fly and not telling anyone. Yes, and and for context, basically the entire, like, trouble of brewing of at least the first 70% of this plot, in case you didn't just rewatch it, <laughs> is that they get to Spain to do this music festival and then everyone but Galleria gets swept up into their fun hobby. Yeah. And Galleria, first of all, first of all, there's no real reason for them to even be at the festival in the first place. No, it's just a tag on to the trip that Chanel already had to take. That Chanel had to take. She was only going to be gone for a month. But for some reason, Galleria could not handle the fact that she would be gone for a month. So she blew it up into this big thing, this big festival. And then no one wanted to do it. It's like no one even wanted to really go on this trip in the first place. No. Like no one was passionate about it. Chanel was just trying to get through this weird interaction with her stepdad or whatever. Yeah. So. And. It just, it all comes to a head when Chanel is forced to apologize to Galleria at the train station in her pajamas with the other two girls. Why is Chanel apologizing? She didn't do anything wrong other than make a friend with Marisol. Chanel dared to make a friend who she, like, could actually share her culture with. And speak Spanish. And Marisol's nice. Like, Marisol's not even the evil one. Her mom is. Marisol is so neutral. Yeah. Extremely neutral. Yeah. All the girl wants to do is eat whatever she wants. Right. Which, (laughs) remember that because we will come back to that later on. Um, but yeah, I just, the thing that aged the worst for me, and I guess that well, kind of goes in. Don't go into that yeah, yet. It's actually not. I didn't write it under that. Okay. But just, um, like, the movie wants you to be on Galleria's side. The movie wants you to be like, oh, the girls are just not paying attention. The girls are not focused. They're going to lose. Yeah. Um, but I'm totally not on her side. Me neither. Because... If I may. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that is weird to me about this movie is that I absolutely cannot connect with Raven. Like, every time she's performing, I'm like, she's not, it feels like she's faking it. And, okay, every single time she's on screen, whether she's on stage in the movie or just being Galleria in the movie, I'm like, this is not a real person. This is not like a realistic portrayal of a character. I like it just big weird vibes from mm-hmm. Raven. Yeah, I mean that makes sense knowing what we know, but like when I first watched it and everything, I didn't think that at all. Like when I was like 12 or whatever. Yeah, I feel like I'm watching AI when she's Really? Yeah, like That's weird. It just feels like she's like in a high school production or something. I think that she you can kind of tell she was just going through it. 
um, personally. It kind of seems like that. And she didn't really want to be there. And so she kind of put on her, like, Raven autopilot. Yeah, that is what it feels like. Like, it's not that it's terrible or anything. It's just, um, it's not anything... New, I guess. She also doesn't really get to do anything fun in this movie. Which no, is what I was saying she's earlier. She's just being upset and like pissed the whole time. Yeah, and everyone else gets. And to everyone fun. else has fun plot lines, and they didn't give her anything other than Angel, who she clearly doesn't care about. I like, mean, it's actually, not even a relationship. No, they like never talk. No, they don't talk. It's just like he keeps showing up. Yeah. <laughs> also, I love that we're just 100% skipping over Dorinda's yeah. whole relationship because it's so stupid. It's so dumb and that guy is not a good actor. And he's not straight. He's a good he's a good dancer. He's a really good dancer. Yeah. I guess. Okay. I, I would like, like to see the expertise. <laughs> I have none. No, he's he, a good dancer. He's a great dancer. And he's I get I get him. why they cast him because he has that like Disney look. But What's the Disney look? I don't know. He's just really like wide-eyed and like uh I don't know. He just has like that like youthful energy. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. I hate that term. I know that's why I said it. Oh. Yeah, um, I, I don't buy it. I mean, are we going to discuss the whole thing of, like, are we even going to go into family yeah. thing? I had it under a problem. Okay, but I yeah. have a couple more things for the worst section. Two things that are small. Um, everyone in this movie is wildly wealthy and no one acknowledges it. Or not, I mean, not like Dorinda and, like, maybe Aqua. Who knows? But no, like, Aqua's rich. It's confirmed. How do you know? Because she's, when it's exposed in the first movie a lot, Kind of a lot because she's from Texas and she's like moved to New York to like pursue. And it's like you're just you're just assuming this. But um, in the second movie, when the moms are like, okay, like, but there's other parents involved. Like, what do your guys' parents think? Dorinda's like, my foster mom's okay with it. And then Aqua goes, my dad wants me to bring back these 25 souvenirs if you let us go. Like, it's it's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So really— all right. So everyone in this movie, except for Dorinda, yeah. is rich, and they never acknowledge the fact that they're rich. No. And when you're Other little, than Dorinda isn't. But we don't. They well, don't. They just say that she's poor. They never yeah. say that the other people are rich. And I just find it so weird because when you're a little kid, you like don't even think about the fact that they must be rich. But like, no. they buy three international tickets to Barcelona three days before they're supposed to go. Like. I just find that to be crazy. Um, and also, the main thing that annoys me with this movie, one of the main things, is that they do this stupid-ass two-part harmony oh. so many times, and it gets them so much. Like, they do this basic two-part harmony, and everyone's like, wow, put them in the festival. It's like, you you could be... In, like, third grade yeah, choir? Yeah, I was about to say, you could be, like, a junior in high school, oh. but they are juniors in yeah, high school. Yeah, they literally are. And I think that you and I could do better. All right, are we going to do it? Yeah, let's try it. Um, This is because we are go sisters, up? right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Are you going to go up? Oh, yeah. it's really on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it's starting note. I'm really going to cut this out. <laughs> okay, you're going up. Okay. Cause we are sisters, we stand together, we make up one big family, though we don't look the same, our spots are different, different colors. And they get cut off every time. 
Yeah. <laughs> we were a little trepidatious that there, was our but first still, try. That w- we did not try that until right then, and that went pretty well, I do have to say. Yeah. So, um, anyway, <laughs> we are not professionals. We're just random people. Indulge so us. Why the fact don't that, you? Well, and the fact that we can do it, and that doesn't get us into a festival in Spain. You know what? Maybe it would. We Maybe never tried. Will. You never know. We never tried. Who's going to discover? I got to make a wish on a star. That's Maybe what you need to do. Maybe the wind will blow open a magazine. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, the ending of this movie is absolute trash. The ending? Yes. It's a non-ending. We were wondering why they were showing the curtain call of the final performance. It's because that's the end of the movie. They don't tell you who wins the contest. They don't follow up on anything. You don't get to see them go back to New York, which would be good, I think. I mean, the runtime was already long, though, so I get why they didn't, but... It was way too long. Why do they not at least announce them the winners? At least. There's no closure. No, there's no closure for any of it. It's kind of actually appalling that it ends the way it yeah, does. Yeah, like when the cre- the credits just start rolling on this wide shot of the crowd of the final performance dancing, and then they just slowly follow the Cheetah Girls out the back, and that's the end. And we're like, oh, okay. Like, oh. So I guess that was worth an hour and a half of my life. <laughs> um. Okay, so for the problematic section... I have two things, and I think this is probably it. This movie did age pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, Um, overall it does. The first point is that Belinda's whole arc as a character is, like, weirdly symbolized through her mom restricting her eating. Yeah, like, extreme stage mom vibe. Which is, uh, because basically at the end when she, like, refuses to perform in the festival, they, like, show a clip of her, like, eating a churro in the audience. And I'm like... It's like... It's very 2006. Yes, it is. Also, with her, we get the classic, it's not my dream, it's your dream. (laughs) Yes, yes, we do get that moment, too, because her mom is, like, the antagonist. Yeah. There's so many random, like, negative forces in this movie. Yeah, there's no one antagonist. And then the other thing is that, uh, once again, Dorinda randomly whipping out her foster family is made to be, like, a crisis point in this movie in the exact same way that it was in In the the first. first. But it's, like, very undercooked and kind of doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's just, um, do we really, because the whole thing is that the dancing guy that she's, like, having a thing with is a count, and... All of their problems could be solved if they just said it when the problem arised. Yes. Instead of saying it in the next scene where they're like, no, you misunderstood. All of my family's riches are gone and I'm poor too. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, it's like, why didn't you just tell her that when she yelled at you for, for being rich? Yeah. Like, why weren't you just like, but I'm not. And that would have solved it. But no, yeah. she had to dramatically leave in her fedora. And her And her and belt. Her long tank top. <laughs> So so problematic. I don't really know if it's even problematic, but whatever. It's not. It's just um, we didn't need to revisit this in the second. Yes, agreed. Speaking of things we don't have to revisit in the second movie of things, uh, let's talk about the rules of sequels and how this movie falls into them or around them or against them. Um, Again, shout out to... Shafrillis. Shay Frillis. Shay Frillis on YouTube. 
Uh, you got to watch why Shrek 2 is the perfect sequel. He uh, lays out all of the rules for a great sequel in that video. Yeah. And I'm sure that he has also used other sources to come up with oh, those yeah. rules. But but they're, they're good rules of thumb and it's very concise. Yes. And we love to cite Schaeferless because yeah. his videos are really <laughs> funny. Okay. Rule number one. And if you listen to Princess Diaries 2, our episode on that movie, you will know these rules already. Does this movie expand the Cheetah Girls universe? Again, literally, yes. Uh, as in, they went to a different part of the world. But I don't feel that the tone between the first movie and the second movie are similar. I, do, I, I, I agree. They're not. I mean, they're just different types of movies. It also drives me crazy when when sequels, like, don't really ever reference anything that happened in the one before. Yeah. Like, I was waiting for, like, a self-referential moment. Like, because that's the point of a sequel. Yeah. It, it's... You want, you want the same thing, but different. And this movie kind of does that, but not really. Yeah. It's hard to do that when you literally take them out of any environment that you saw them in previously. Yeah. And drops them into a completely different one. Well, they were in New York in the beginning. Started with Ariel. Hardly. Yeah. Hardly. You just see sets. It's not even like Yeah, streets. that's true. That's true. Um, I do want to say, though, that I think that one of the cool parts of this movie is that it's like actually very international. And there's yeah. a lot of Spanish in it. And I think that in the way that the first movie was like... <laughs> Fuck globalism <laughs> with, yeah, the, with that's the around so the world true. thing. Like this is uh, is the like, the opposite yeah, of yeah. Which I mean, like, but it's in a much more authentic way as far as like Disney standards. Right. It's like actually seemingly pretty well researched. Yeah. Like Spanish pop culture. Mm -hmm. I think it's cool that they incorporated actual Spanish. There was a ton of Spanish people, people in the movie. Yeah, and they didn't, like, pull a passport to Paris. <laughs> right, right, and be like, pretend you're Spanish. Yeah, pretend you're French for this, please. Like, hell? Um, okay. Does this movie continue the story? I have a, I have an okay. opinion. I feel like you want to see the Cheetah Girls get famous. Yeah. That's, like, the thing you're promised in the beginning of the franchise, and... That's a really good point. You Why never see them get famous. aren't they famous at the beginning of the second movie? Why? You know, they're well-liked, but they're still in high school. Not much time has passed between the first and the second movie. Literally maybe a year yeah. has passed. And, um, they don't really talk about anything, except, oh, we forgot about the fact that at the beginning, they're like, and why you can't say no to the cheetahs, and <laughs> yeah. they're, like, talking about the SAT and stuff, and then it just never comes back. I was like, um, first of all, imagine trying to go to NYU to become a pop star. I mean, I, we know people, people that have done that. People do that, but it's just, like, not likely. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> well, especially as a, as a girl group. I mean, that's that's, like really hard. Yeah. Well, they also live in New York already, so it's yeah. a little different. So it's a little different. They have that like they're not like coming from the Midwest. They're not us. <laughs> yeah. But um <laughs> and we still know people that came from the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. But what were we saying? <laughs> I got distracted by that. We never see them get famous. Yeah, and like that's so true. They are well liked and everybody at their school knows them, but they're not famous. No, they're not at all. No. 
And that also makes me just wonder, like, why don't they tell us anything about this festival? They say that artists have been discovered that I way. Guess the third movie is the one where they get famous because they're offered a role in a Bollywood musical. But Raven's not even there. Yeah, Raven so went. That's out. That's like not even like you can't even factor that in because but Raven's the one who wants the fame the most. Right, but, like, she would have been in it if she wanted to be in it. You know, well, like... I know. I guess I'm saying Galleria, not Raven. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just think that that's You can't wrong. even judge the third movie based off the first two because all the circumstances change. Right. <laughs> uh, I do not think that this movie addresses... Because it's like they want fame, but they also really love each other. And, like, they're really grounded in their relationships. But, like, you never actually see them being good friends to each other. No. They say that they care more about each other than they do about the competition. But that's not That's literally not true. Rule number three. A good sequel should expand on themes from the first movie and also introduce new themes. It definitely carries the theme of Galleria causes issues and everybody else deals with it. Yes. That theme is very consistent. Yes. As far as new themes, there's not much. You know what I might say? What? This movie feels like emotionally the uh, like evil twin of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Because Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is like, we're so different, but we love each other and we're going to be friends forever. And like, you believe it. And that's what makes it like this escapist fantasia. Whereas Uh in this movie, it's like, they're like, we're best friends. We're going to be together forever. And you're like, six months from now, you're not going to be friends. It's like, literally, you, this, these friendships, their days are numbered. And like, you will be in therapy for them soon. (laughs) Like, it, it's so... Uh, it does not achieve what it's going for in that respect. I think, yes, it's a writing thing, but it's also just a chemistry thing. Yeah, there's way too much personality. Yeah. Way too much, like, diva energy. Yeah. Which I love and everybody loves because it's fun to watch. But, like, as far as, like, being authentic um, friendships and, like, really loving them as friends— It's not really there. I would love... So, basically, with all this stuff we're talking about, it's all, like, incredibly fair game for reboots because we're living in that kind of, like, hellscape right now. And I would love to see a reboot of the Cheetah Girls where they're all rivals. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. That literally makes my heart rate go up. (laughs) It would be so good. And then they, like, actually come to like each other somehow. And then at the end, they go, Amigas, Cheetahs. We heard that chorus like 27 times. It's repeated exactly the same with no variation, like 50 times at the end. Yeah, it's horrible. And this. It feels like someone was like copying and pasting that section of music (laughs) like over and over again. (laughs) Okay. So there were really no new themes introduced except like. No, I mean, the only new themes have to do with uh, Chanel and the stepfather. But what even are the It's themes? just like, the. it's not explored enough to really be a new theme, but just um, the idea that, like, everybody 
who gets with her mom, like, hurts her feelings. And so Chanel is like... That's not a theme, though. Chanel is like (laughs) the barrier for her mom getting hurt. And so she's protective of her mom. And then she's like, no, I'm being a bad person. I'm actually blocking her from being in love. I don't know. That's that's like not a theme. But it's like the newest element that I could think of. the only emotional thing that's added to it. And she actually does a good job in that scene, I think. She is great in this movie. Yeah. I love her in this movie. She looks so good in the last number. I feel like, oh yeah, she does look really good. I do think that, um. Yes, I just said number. It is a a production number. (laughs) Um, and then the last rule of sequels they should leave an impact on the universe of the movie in a positive way. I, I mean, we were kind of saying it's not a negative impact, but it's like neutral to positive, maybe. I, I think it's neutral. To me, it feels like when you're a kid and you have a set of Barbies you always play with and their personalities are set in stone, but like whatever adventure you have on a given day is just wiped away at the end of the day and it doesn't like yeah. ultimately affect anything. That's what it feels like. Yeah, which, I mean, for kids, they they just don't care. Yeah, they don't care. Kids don't care. And this is for children, and Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't care. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't care. Watched it, so... I don't... (laughs) Yeah, I, uh... I mean, clearly it didn't leave that much of a mark because they go on to the next movie, and Galleria isn't even in it. Yeah, they must give a reason, obviously. It's that she's away at college. Yeah. I did air quotes, but you can't tell. Yeah. Uh, What a franchise. Yeah. But honestly, they did really well without Raven as a touring group and as a recording group, so. Please, 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 if you do anything... (laughs) Uh, based off, yeah, inspired by this particular podcast, go listen to Fuego. <laughs> Wait, I want to play a little bit of it on my Like, phone. holy shit. It is, it is really an unbelievable. It good goes song. so hard. It it's so uncalled for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if we get, uh, I might have to. Every motion. You can't stop the beat this I'm gonna fight, I'll fight, I'll fight. Like, yes, Adrian. Let me skip ahead. The ooh, ah. There it is. Sick a night on fire. All night long. Just turn it up. We make it hot from the street to the club. Ooh, ah. Just turn it up. Come on, fuego, fuego. Fuego, all right, I don't want to get cop- <laughs> I don't want to get copyright. Copyrighten. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that song is amazing. Um, is this movie still good? Yeah. It's a musical. You can't hate a musical. <laughs> it's honestly worth it for the opening and for Strut, but after yeah. that, I'm kind of over it. Why wait is still pretty good too. Yeah, I think um, I think I enjoyed watching it more than the first Cheetah Girls. Me too. Yeah. The first Cheetah Girls is a friend's It's log. a little hard to get through. Yeah. And the the ending is just so out there and 
a detached from reality. These movies are not good with endings. No, because they just rush to the end. They're made for TV, so they have a really specific runtime. Yeah. And they have commercial breaks. Right. And so it just goes slamming into the credits like you are <laughs> not ready at all. It really does go slamming into oh, the credits. Oh, Lord. Um, anyway, though, the parts of this movie that we remembered, which were the songs— held up. So if you want to relive this movie... I welcome it. I would welcome it, too. It's pretty good. All the men are disposable, though, once again. And that's fine. But that's not a surprise. <laughs> so uh, please let us know your thoughts on this movie if you rewatch it and if we missed anything that you were, like, sitting there thinking, oh, I hope that they, they talk about this one thing. Uh, you should let us know what it is. You could send us a DM on Instagram or... Twitter at Two Pink Pictures, or if you really wanted to get fancy, you could record a voice memo <laughs> and you could email it to us, twopinkpictures at gmail.com, and maybe we'll put it on. Maybe we'll have a little moment. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Anyway, we hope you're doing well out there, and we will be back soon with another riveting episode <laughs> of content. And we hope your day or night is cheetah-licious. <laughs> Maybe I'll put in a roar noise. (laughs) You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with all our latest creative projects at twopinkpictures.com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Yay. Search sleepover cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at twopinkpictures and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema and that's really where the party is at. It's true. And if you like Sleepover Cinema, please share an episode with a few friends. Also, since we're asking for things, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts app. Um, For some reason, they're super powerful, and we would always appreciate a nice review. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman, and theme music is by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. We'll chat again soon. We'll chat again soon. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.